0: thank you Tim good morning I know you are better than all these things I really know that it is my experience though I hope I'm speaking for all of us when uh, we identify this way in what I'm gonna say but uh, we know God's better than all these things and yet and in light of James uh, this really becomes uh, even clearer a lot of the time Uh, When things uh, are difficult for us or we face a hardship, things don't play out the way we planned, um, it's the other things (laughs) that we're concerned about. It's the other things that we're troubled by, Uh, not the things of God, not the things that uh, are better than all these things. It's all these things that uh, become the focus of our lives, and when things don't go as we would prefer or ways in which they would go to our advantage sometimes we don't respond as James says with joy to these tests of faith because everything anything can be a test of faith a test of your trust in God and that's what James is emphasizing he says, My dear believing family, count it nothing but joy. Count it all joy. Count it pure joy. Think about it, regard it, imagine it, evaluate it, and conclude. Have this verdict it's joy, nothing but joy. And then he gives us this precious truth. He says, knowing, see, so regard, evaluate, uh, count it, decide. It's an occasion for joy, this difficulty, this test of faith. Knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, it It produces, it brings endurance out of these tests. Endurance in us, endurance in our faith. So he says, counted as joy, regarded as joy, but that's where we don't. We don't see it differently. But that's the difference faith makes in a God whom we trust is using these difficulties to make us more like christ that would be my shorthand way of of putting it that's the goal to become christ-like which is a way of of saying character biblical character is imitating god because god reveals himself most fully to us fulfilling if you will the history of the bible from old into this dawning revelation in the birth and life of his son, and Christ revealing or fulfilling what has been revealed about God in the Old Testament, and then sealing all that with a new covenant through his death and resurrection. So we are to see things differently and count it all joy. But that is a verdict Uh, that's um, an evaluation that only comes with faith in god if we subtract god from the difficulty whatever your difficulty you've had all kinds of difficulties maybe you didn't label it a test of faith it was just dumb luck or why did this happen to me oh no a flat tire right now Uh, why can't i control this situation i mean anything that has soured us in life if we are walking with the lord james is telling us qualifies as a test of faith a test of trusting god a test of turning to god and we're supposed to see it differently he says this shouldn't be a downer this should be an upper because you're doing it with god but you take god out of the picture well, Plato said, Life is just a roll of the dice. Roll the dice the best you can, you know? Try to get what you need out of that roll of dice. If you've ever played a dicing game, you know that you're trying to maybe roll double sixes. Roll those dice. We, I've seen people do it so many times, you know. <laughs> Shaking them just right. Hey, breathe on my dice, you know. (laughs) I'm going to roll them because I need a pair of sixes. So roll the dice the best you can. But then Plato says, work with what you get. That is the best we can do if there's no God in our lives. So if you subtract God, life is... A roll of the dice and roll them as best you can and you know what take what you get and work with it if you subtract faith from the test of faith then you know let's just say yeah I go to church every Sunday Um, I listen to Christian radio I talk God a lot I use all the vernacular Of the church I hang out with Christian people I do Christian things but if you take faith out of the equation that's just kind of a practical atheism I think you've made a good choice you've chosen a good lifestyle you've surrounded yourself with good people but you just can't make this whole Christian thing work because There's no faith. You don't handle tests well. You ask everybody else what's going on. You try to get their input, but inside you're frustrated. You think God's doing this to pick on you. Another thing we could do is subtract the knowledge of a test of faith. That is, knowing that God is using this trial to build your character. So if we take God out of it and faith out of it and what God has revealed to us, this this kind of assuring, reassuring truth that God isn't a bogeyman, but that he really is interested in your life. He's interested in developing you and your character in a Christ-like way. He couldn't build a better person than a Christ-like person. And he tells you, this is what I'm doing in these tests of faith. I'm building your trust in me, and I want you to know I really have your good at heart. But if you take God out, and you take faith out, and you take that reassuring truth, that that knowledge that comes from him, that he reveals to us, you take that all away and we're just like everyone else. And yet what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that if you are honest, and I'm telling you this, I'm a, I'm a pastor. There are, there's a big chunks of my life There are times in my life when I didn't put my faith in God, so God was not in the picture, faith was not in the picture, and his truth about my life or the the daily issues of my life was not a functioning factor. And you know what? I'm just living like everybody else. And in that case, I'm not, you're not, we're not people of faith in God. We're people of, of the world and a people of words without power. Ignatius or Ignatius was a Syrian pastor, and in the early part of the second century which would be around 114, 15 16 right in there we can't pin it down more precisely than that he was arrested and he was taken to Rome for trial because of his faith it was a long journey you know from basically what we kind of call the Holy Land Uh, let me see on the map that would be from the Holy Land to Rome in Italy and he was taken by roman soldiers and in the process they made stops along the way and he was allowed to write and he wrote to seven churches we have those letters from him he wrote a letter to the church at rome just as paul did earlier and in that he says Pray for me he says just pray that I will have strength both both outwardly and inwardly so that I may not just talk about it but want to do it it is not that I want merely to be called a christian but to actually be one yes if i have to prove to be one if i prove to be one then I can have the name. I think James is addressing the same desire the human tension between who we are in Christ and who we are without Christ. And that's the tension of the fact that we're sinners and saints. And that the Holy Spirit has uh, taken up residence in our lives, empowers us. And yet, as Paul himself says, there's this daily battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And we have this truth, but, you know, it's a growing thing. It really is a growing thing. It's got to not just get in our mind, but it's got to make its way into our heart and along the way there's going to be kind of this tension i think about you know yeah we want to subscribe to the truth boy i'll fight and die for it but if we're all honest man we we breathe we get our life's breath from the very grace of god and his forgiveness and mercy and we're trying to tie all this together and james that's what the letter of james is all about and if you're with us for the first Sunday. We started last Sunday and looked at verses 2 through 4, and this Sunday we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. I'd like to read all those uh, verses just to keep them in view. James is kind of building something of a case here, and I hope you'll be reading through the letter of James. It's very, very practical, very practical. It's very straightforward, but kind of underneath it all is, is like... How do we have this authentic, healthy faith? And that's what he keeps pushing us toward. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's what we looked at a week ago. Now, we're going to push into what he says next. And I want you to notice something. He describes a process of God perfecting us, perfecting our faith through trials of faith. And anything can be a trial of faith. Anything that causes you to, to turn away from God or not turn to God um, is a tension between living our life in trust. Well, he says, lacking in nothing, and now notice this connecting word, if any of you lacks wisdom, okay, there's our, there's our, our suture between what he has said and what he's going to say. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously or with single intention to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That person is a double-minded man, a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. Talk to God. Faith works. That's what James is saying. If you lack wisdom, talk to God. Faith works. And I want to look at three things he says here that I think we should appreciate. First of all, you can. You can talk to God. Let's not overlook that. Like, that's, oh, sure. You don't need a mediator, you don't need a priest. You don't need a pope. I like them all. But you James is saying, do not need to go to a certain place. You don't not you don't need to feed the donkey saddle it and and ride 3 days march to Jerusalem or anything like that. You don't have to uh wash yourself. You don't have to get on the on the floor and bow five times and anoint yourself you see if you lack wisdom and that's interesting because that's he's what, what he's saying is if you lack wisdom then that is what you really need if you lack anything you lack wisdom and if you have wisdom then you'll be able to recover that joy that has evaded you in the midst of the test of faith. So you can. That's the first thing I want us to appreciate. But we don't as quickly as we should, do we? When things go wrong, where do we turn? Well, we turn to all kinds of things that uh, we normally do without God. Quite naturally I I came to Christ a little bit later than than many I and so I had a way of doing things in my own strength by my own abilities the way I figure things out and and sometimes even though we have given our lives to Christ uh, if it's a if if it's a kind of a secular endeavor or something we're really skilled in then you know I've got this God i don't know if that sounds familiar if you comb your experience you'll probably find that you do a lot of things without even giving god a thought and you're competent and capable and so he's not invited to the party because you've got this and we only turn to god listen when we have exhausted when we have exhausted our human or our worldly wisdom, the stuff that works for us in most situations, the stuff that we've been, you know, doing as we figure life out before. And at this point, since nothing humanly possible can be done, because we've done everything that we could possibly do, but this thing is still still blowing up, it's still on fire, my life is lost, I turn to God, I've done all I can, so what will work now? God, I need a miracle. I need you to intervene with a 100,000 angels to straighten this thing out. And when God doesn't do it right like that, then on top of everything else, the fact that whatever was our maiden flight or our successful endeavor, the fact that it's already crashed, and then God doesn't show up, wow, life is, couldn't be worse. I understand. I understand. I mean I'm not picking on you I'm drawing on my own experience I'm drawing on the experience of people I've worked with even in my own family (laughs) I'll never forget Um, went into one of my children's room back uh, when they were in adolescence that's high school and I really was my heart just ached And I went into the room, and I I said, can I, let's pray. No, I tried it, and it didn't work. But, you know, I felt that way at times. I tried it, but it didn't work. We're trying to change circumstances. But God is trying to change us. And that is a huge difference. He's working from the inside out. Where did he put his spirit? The spirit that enabled Jesus, that came upon Jesus at his baptism. Where did God pour out his spirit? On you. Because he is infiltrating our lives and working from the inside out in verses two through four character character building is what he's talking about character building through faith in god consider he says by what do you do when you are considering you're using your noggin you're using your intellect you're using your rationality you're taking truth and you're evaluating it God's revealed truth truth that the world doesn't buy because God doesn't exist and he doesn't have anything worthwhile to say to you so you are evaluating that truth and you are making a choice a decision of faith to say I believe that I trust that And why has God won that audience with your heart and your reason? Because he's won your heart through love and forgiveness. He's the only one out there talking to you about your value, your worth. Even when others have written you off and the world doesn't give one hoot about who you are. Unless you can do something for them. That's the cold hard truth. I don't, I'm not angry with the world. I'm seeking to love it, but that is the underbelly that drives our world. And social media, how many likes did you get? How do you feel if you don't get the likes that you think you ought to get? Who wants to be a Twitter star and you only get one thumbs up or whatever? And why, are, why do we want so many friends? Because we want to peddle our brand, whatever that is. Consider, look at it, evaluate it, decide. This is an occasion for joy. Knowing, what's knowing? Using your noggin again. Knowing that truth, that assuring truth, God says, you matter to me. I talked about this last week a little bit. I'm not going to repeat myself, but parents don't love their kids if they just pamper them if they just let them run like animals, if they don't give one hoot about what they think or care about, that's not love. That's ease. That's simplicity. That's less work. That's irresponsibility. That's not having any principles or values because you don't really care. And that's a person that's totally self-indulgent, and their principle of life, their purpose in life, their goal in life is pleasure, feeling good, because they've got nothing better to live for. We're never going to get James. We're never going to get Jesus. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about comprehend What what this whole thing is about, if faith in God isn't the life of our daily life. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, building on this theme of of character building in verses 2 through 4, that God cares for you because He wants He wants to forge you and forge me into giants of Faith who resemble Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. I can't think of anything more beautiful. If you don't want to be like Jesus, you are in the wrong place. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, this is what God did with his nation. Do you you know when when Israel was born as a nation? When God delivered them from bondage, from slavery in Egypt. He was all over that, you know. Calling Moses, he brings them out of bondage of of this superpower at the time, and then miraculously delivers them through the parting of the sea. And then what happens next? You know your Bibles. They wander around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years, right? We all know that. What was God doing? Did they get lost? Listen to what... So now they're on the verge of entering the promised land. God has been taking them someplace. And Moses says this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. He says to the people... And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Moses makes four observations here. You were not lost. God led you. Those seemingly wasted years, God needed to humble you, to make you depend on him. Three, God tested you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And four, he rationed manna. If you know the story, the manna came from heaven in daily rations, and then it rotted. So they had to gather it and eat it, but they couldn't store it, they couldn't hoard it. They had to depend on the Lord each and every day. And Moses says, Now, people, we've been out there 40 years, and I just want you to know, I want to kind of ground you in what God was doing. He led you that whole way, round and round, because he wanted to humble you. He wanted to make you dependent on him, not just for big things, but daily things, because he is interested in that humility, that obedience, and that dependence. Why? Because he wants to make you a chip off the old block. He wants to make you his children, his people. See, we are people of the world if we aren't his people. And that is a constant battle. Because we you know, I, I watch television like you. I listen, I'm on social media, some. Uh, I read books, I, I mean, and that's the way Christians have always been since the very beginning. They've not isolated themselves, they've not, I mean, some have gone off into, but the Christians in Rome, for example, lived in the same tenement buildings. Their neighbors were pagans and every other sort. Jesus made his way among the people. So we're not necessarily to separate ourselves from the world, but we've got to know the difference. And we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord because he's trying to make us a people. Why am I saying this? Because James is steeped as a Jewish man, as the brother of Jesus. This is their heritage, the Old Testament. The, the redemptive work of God and what he did when he delivered the people out of Egypt, that was their death and, and resurrection. That, you know, when we think of Jesus, we think of his burial and resurrection. The, the redemptive work of the Exodus was their saving work that they constantly went back to. James recognizes that God doesn't airlift us out of all difficulty. He doesn't pamper us into perfection. I wanted to make that really clear so James here says go to God ask for wisdom to handle the tests of faith with joy so where do I find joy in a trial I know God is perfecting me that's one two if I'm not counting it as joy I lack wisdom and where do I go for that wisdom where do I go for that insight that helps me to understand more skillfully what God is doing in my life? I ask God. In the mornings here, sometimes I'm down here. When I was uh, at uh, First Baptist as a young, young man after becoming a new Christian, I mean, they had that whole thing. It was a big church. And uh, down in the front, there was a telephone. And if something was going wrong, you'd just get on that phone. It was like the bat phone. And you'd call back to the technicians, and then they would, uh, you know, work things out. If I'm up here, I got nothing. I suppose I could use my cell phone. Now we all have cell phones, right? But you know what I do more and more? And, and I realize this is an, um, a, a mature ma- perspective, but I want to commend it to you. I I pray a lot more often, things that I can't control, things that don't go my way. I'm much quicker to pray. I want God's perspective. I want to look at it in God's way. And I'm commending that to you, trying to help you realize that, yeah, it takes work, but that's what James is saying. You lack wisdom? Don't come to me. Well, I mean, you can come to me, but, you know, go to God talk to him. What's biblical wisdom? Skill. Primarily skill. But, skill in spiritual things. Five times in the Old Testament, it's a prescription. It's found in the Psalms. It's found in Job. It's found in Proverbs. And it's basically this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, if you fear the Lord, and you fear the Lord more than anything else, then you're constantly interacting. I mean, you're oriented to God. It's, it's not so much the emotional fear. It's the priority of fear. If you fear something, nothing else matters. Everything else is put on hold, right? I mean, you put, you, when you are grip, in the grip of fear, nothing else matters but that. That's priority number one. That's what God wants to be in your life. And when you give him priority, you will think, walk, and lead a more wise life. I'm being straight up with you. And I've been trying to do it all these years, and I can guarantee it works. Stephen Elliott reminded me this week that I had said, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. Did you know that? How many of you didn't know tomato is a fruit? most of you know okay that's good that's knowledge knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit wisdom is knowing you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad (laughs) proverbs 2 6 says for the lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding Knowledge and understanding, when they come together, that's wisdom. That's any kind of wisdom. But if you orient, you know, if you're pinging off, if your radar always has God in view, then you have biblical wisdom, you see? Because then that knowledge and understanding is filtered through your faith with God. Well, we can in faith. We have to. Billy Graham, I said last week, it does not matter how big your faith is, but rather where your faith is. And I've shared with you in the past that as a new believer, I thought it was the size of your faith, like you never have any doubt. You don't even talk about doubt. Doubt is inimical to faith. Doubt has no place with faith. So I'm driving home, uh, and there's a stoplight. I've shared this with you. I'm you may be hearing it for the first time in the light is red and I thought if if I really have faith I will not adjust my speed I will not hit the brakes I will just blow right through and when I get there it'll turn green that was my idea of faith that is not faith and you might be wondering, did it turn green? No. And I hit the brakes. Because I'm no fool. I realized, though, through that experience, it was like climbing a ladder. I stood on the shoulders of that experience, and I realized God doesn't ask me to believe that I can do things that I can't do. That's not faith. God asks me to believe what he tells me, and what he tells me to do. When he says love, love. When he says forgive, forgive. When he says accept his forgiveness, I accept his forgiveness. It's really pretty simple, but you'd be surprised how many people don't even do that. Accept what God reveals to you. And you know what? here's the the key. If you have doubts, you know, because you can put together things in the Bible in pretty weird ways and end up out in the desert living with five people and no water or something, you know, thinking that that's what God wants you to do. But what God wants you to do is to be like Jesus Christ. And if Jesus wouldn't do it, then you don't do it. Now, I realize he didn't deal with everything, but that's, that's really, a, a, again, it orients you and helps you to stay smart. So he says, do this in faith, asking for God's wisdom. Jesus, Jesus' teaching is behind this because Jesus said, for example, in Matthew 7, 7, Luke eleven nine, 9, ask and it will be given to you. I can't tell when you ask God for wisdom what he will tell you because you're different than me, and your situation is different. But I do have a hunch that it will be always Christ-like. It may be tailored, you know. I don't know if you'll hear a voice. I don't know if thoughts, right thinking, um, how God will give you that wisdom. And I can't tell you exactly what that wisdom will be, except to say it will not violate his word or something that Christ would stand for. And then he says, and by the way, Christ is always, look, does God forgive me? Does he love me? Does he want the best for me? Do I sometimes doubt that? Yeah. Do I sometimes wish things weren't going the way they're going? Yeah. But I ne- at this point, you know, I'm not going to give up on Jesus. And I'm not going to make things worse. Half of us would do better if we just wouldn't make it worse. You know, sometimes maybe just keep your mouth shut and ponder it a little longer, pray a little more. wait on the lord that's psalm 37 wait on the lord i think it says it like 20 times which means (laughs) slow down hold up don't let your mouth get out in front of you by the way we celebrated 45 years of marriage on friday (laughs) 45 years thank you we got in a fight (laughs) A lady was asked, uh, kind of a fight. No, we didn't. We did. not in a fight, fight. But anyway, you're blowing my. I had a really good story right there. I wanted to jump in on it real quick. Um, a couple had been married, I think, seventy years, and they asked the wife. What is the success of the longevity of your marriage to your husband? And she said, He hasn't died yet. (laughs) Without doubt, that's the talk to God, faith works. You can, you can in faith, you can in faith without doubt. And I, 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 James defines doubt here in these verses, verses six through eight. So if you think it through, you can understand what the kind of doubt he's talking about. But this is not just a, kind of an intellectual reservation. This is, this, he uses the word two-souled or double-minded is the way it's translated. He is the, um, he coins this word, others use it after him but he's the first to use this word double minded or two-souled in greek that we we know of but the idea goes back to deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 when it, it this is the confession of israel love the lord with all your heart all your your whole heart your your whole being or soul and your all your strength, whole, 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 all of you. This is in contrast to that. This is a person who is two-minded, two-souled, if you will. And sometimes we're like that. We're two people. And James says, that kind of double-minded, he says, it's like a wave. This is not a beautifully shaped curl that you surf, Right? You've seen those kind of waves. This is, this is that choppy stuff that you can't even swim in. I had to be rescued once in that. The wind's blowing and it just you try, you try to grab some water and it's not there. He says that person's unstable in all their ways. The double-minded has no assurance he'll receive anything from the Lord. Why is that? I'm going to give you real quick now. Why well we are not sure we want to know God's wisdom that's one reason we're not committed to following it and would prefer to find out if we like it first uh, we shop for answers to life's tests that fit what we want to do worldly wisdom sounds better and easier uh, we're up when life goes our way and down when it doesn't this is the double minded person I'm trying to describe in my own language Um, our back-and-forth thinking blurs our ability to see God in our lives we can't admire God's goodness and grace because it's just as natural for us to say that was lucky if you think it's luck and you I mean if you're not a person who prays and then also after things are resolved you pray again and thank the Lord really I, I lived that way for a while. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. And then things would work out. And I, I kind of felt like, well, maybe it would have panned out anyway. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't spend as much time in praising him as I had in petitioning. Don't let that continue because it does make you a double-sided, double-minded, double-hearted, double-hearing, double-seeing person. And what happens eventually is you can't see God in anything. Now as you mature, you'll find this. You'll start to see good in things that other people can't see any good in. You'll rejoice in things that other people can't rejoice in. You'll see God's hand in grace. You'll see that silver lining. You'll see the sunny side of the street because you go to him and talk in faith without doubt. And then I'm just, I'm going to just close with this. Wisdom is yielding to God. And this is just, this morning, this was on my heart, and so I wrote it down before coming, and this is what I want to share. Ask yourself, what is wiser? A choice between what's best for you or me and what's best for others. In other words, what's wise? Selfish or selfless? The answer comes very clearly to the person who wants to follow Jesus the wiser course is the selfless the loving way not the selfish way right there you've made a turn away from the world you're following God right there here's the thing when you do that you build trust and relationships it's not instant gratification you don't get what you want right away but if you live that way choice by choice decision by decision to put others first to not pursue your own selfish interests God will build so many beautiful people into your life and you will be the source of building a beautiful life in your relationships with children or spouses or friends or neighbors or co-workers. It doesn't happen overnight. You build trust. You build good relationships. You have a clean conscience, and you have wholeness of soul. And at night, you are not troubled by the stupid things you did during the day. And even if you didn't do all you could, you feel like you did the best you could, and you give the rest to God, and you get up in the morning, and you go back at it again. And I'll tell you, you can't put a price tag on a clean conscience and wholeness of soul and the ability to fall asleep. Shelly says, I have the gift of sleep. So not all of that may be due to my lifestyle. It may just be because I was biologically engineered that way. But I'll tell you, having a clean conscience works God takes care of you things come together God provides it calls for some patience trusting and pursuing God rather than immediate gratification but you joy you have joy in knowing you are doing the best you can under the circumstances little unseen choices and decisions in faith to do it God's way to do it Christ's way other people will not see But in time, it becomes easier and easier. And God's way then becomes more and more your way. Now, if you all followed me around and you were a secret agent and you tapped my phone and all of that, you would see that I'm a sinner just like you. But I know God has been at work in my life. And when I look back over my life, I can see God's hand in all the things that I had a part in because of those daily choices. Sometimes I failed, sometimes utterly. But overall, those simple choices. Talk to God. Faith works. You can in faith without doubt. you stand, I'll close us in prayer. Sorry I went a little long today, but Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we would just rejoice in more and rejoice increasingly in difficulties as we have your mind, your heart, your outlook because of talking to you, trusting you, following you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We commit this day to you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. God bless you.